WGR. It is the American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. I was going to ask Corey when I came in this morning, should we play some, like, should we play the National Anthem nope. for the Ryder Cup? This is the but National Anthem. I was going to say, what's more American than Dusty Rhodes? I, Dusty Rhodes and Kenny Loggins? I, I'm sorry. I thought this was a patriotic station. Rock, flag, and eagle, right? You I mean, could turn into WBE on a 10 o'clock at night. You will not hear more patriotic American than this right here. No shot. No shot. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome into Sports Talk Saturday. I am Nate Geary. That is Corey Griswold. This is America. Um, and uh, <laughs> that was a good intro, wasn't it? That was right off the cuff. Um, I have been absolutely riveted by the um, by the Ryder Cup for over the last 24, 36 hours or so. Uh, Jeff Medes, who is uh, a Western New York PGA pro, is going to join me in about 10 minutes. Uh, he is also one of the morning um, uh, morning show co-hosts for Tita Green, our, our golf show that airs during the summer here on WGR with Brian Koziel, Kevin Sylvester from 7 to 8 a.m. It's been two weeks without talking golf, and I can only imagine Jeff is um, like sort of like you know, itching sort of like uh, Dave Chappelle, you know, like Ashy Larry, like something along those lines. Like he's he's ready to talk some golf. So we're going to talk to him in about 10 minutes and uh, and get his thoughts. A big day one for the U.S. team going six and two in day one. An early, fiery, electric start this morning to the morning group that saw Brooks Kepka and, uh, and Danny Berger take a three hole lead against the number one player in the world, John Rahm and Sergio Garcia since that moment that they took that three-hole lead. They are now down one after a pretty notable comeback, but uh, the U.S. are currently leading in two matches as we speak after a big uh, previous last hole, and uh, the 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 only match right now that Team Europe is winning is that Kepka and Berger match, which is, which is pretty interesting. And we saw early on JT and Jordan Spieth struggle, and... Um, they they fought back. They're now up a hole um, in their match as well. So a lot of great things happening in the Ryder Cup this morning. We'll kind of keep you up to date as that goes on. Notre Dame plays this afternoon. If anyone, everyone's really interested in that, right? Like Notre Dame, Wisconsin. That's Jack Cohn making his uh, his return to Wisconsin. Well, it's not to Wisconsin. The game is going to be at um, at Soldier Field, where the 
Chicago Bears play. And if you know anything about uh, Notre Dame, they are very close to uh, to Chicago. Uh, they are Chicago's team, supposedly. Someone has told me that in passing, that Notre Dame is Chicago's team. But Notre Dame's America's team. Come on. Um, so, yes, uh, as it stands right now, just to give you a quick update, uh Kepka has really struggled uh, over the last couple of holes. That match is now up to the U- Team Europe. John Rahm and Sergio Garcia up two holes over Kepka and Berger. Dustin Johnson and Colin Morikawa continue to just just really go at Tyrell Hatton and, uh, and Paul Casey. They're up three in that match. And uh, as I mentioned just moments ago, it did. I did believe that Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth had tied that match. So they're the only tied match right now. Victor Hovland struggling on the greens, not hitting putts. Um, and then the uh, the Cantlay and Shifley group, which uh, which I expect expecting big things from in their matchup against Lee Westwood and Matthew Fitzpatrick. They are up one as well. So two, one, and one tied match as it stands right now in the morning rounds, the afternoon rounds get underway um, in just a few hours after Sports Talk Saturday. So if you're, uh, if you're around this afternoon uh some decent wow just a, a a tough shot there out of the sand from uh from justin thomas so we'll see how that one ends up here all morning long welcome in uh i've got lots of football talk today as well for those um and and just a quick programming alert thanks to um thanks to our to our our, our esteemed colleague and producer Corey griswold for reminding folks that today is a early afternoon uh we will be hearing buffalo bison's baseball called by the very very handsome Patrick Malacaro. He'll join uh, this station starting at 1 p.m. Dangerously handsome. Dangerously handsome. It's, I think is that's impolite. That's that's right. No, dangerously handsome is is the is the really the best way to describe him. Uh, 1 p.m. and then of course on our sister station, the Bet 1520, you can hear UB football as well. So a full slate of sports on your Sports Saturday and some sports talk for your Sports Talk Saturday. Um, a quick update as well on who will be joining me. So I mentioned Jeff Medes, PGA Pro and uh, co-host of T to Green Radio this morning. He's going to join me in about five minutes. We're going to talk more Ryder Cup. Sal, Sal Capaccio joins me at 11.30. We're going to preview more Washington football team bills, which happens on this station eh, sometime tomorrow, roughly 1 o'clock p.m. Don't don't want to miss that. Ryan Talbot, New York Upstate, is going to join me as well. So we'll kind of continue the conversation. Then we'll hear from Matthew Lombardo as well. Matt Lombardo is uh, is in uh, a national NFL writer over at Fansided, and uh, also is uh, is a guy that uh, that loves him some Giants. So we'll get his thoughts on on what he saw last week in that in that matchup against the Washington Football Team, and sort of what the Bills should expect this week against the Football Team. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you, you, a lot of you guys listen to podcasts. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do a, a shameless pug of my podcast, which uh, which airs on Friday nights at 9 p.m. This is the food one. This is the food and sport. Yeah, yeah. it's food and Folks. sport. Um, yesterday, we the theme of our, our podcast was obviously squishing fish. Um, so we talked a little bit. Our, our food topic of the day was where you draw a line on seafood because a lot of people like to draw a line like, I don't like whitefish or I don't, you know, eat seafood that has tentacles or is a certain texture. My my thing is I'm a big texture-related guy. I don't like squid. I don't like octopus. Okay. Um, so that was sort of our topic of conversation food-wise. We had Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports on, mm-hmm. talked a lot, almost at length about a lot of the struggles of this Bills offense, particularly of Josh Allen. And um, Chris is great because Chris does a lot of – he spends a lot of time in the film room, spends a lot of time breaking down um, the game, and and I thought had a lot of great things and, and really insightful things to say 
about the Bills and, and this offense and Josh Allen and and sort of what to spe- expect to as well this week against the Washington football team. But um, I was I was riveted and must ask you, you know, what your overall thoughts are on seafood because it's kind of a controversial topic. I mean, it's uh, Buffalo is a legacy Catholic city, so mm. fish fry is yes. how people usually consume seafood around these parts, but also I'm still part of the generation that when I was growing up, Lake Erie was dead. So getting fresh seafood from the lakes was hard to do safely. Um, Hopefully that's changing now as the lake gets healthier and as the lakes around here get healthier, but you still got to be really careful about fishing from, you know, the largest reserve of fresh water on planet earth. That's right outside our windows. So like my wife grew up on long Island and she spent a lot of time there and she grew up eating a lot more variety of seafoods than I did because she got it from the ocean. She was right there. So my palate for seafood is, is much smaller and I don't incorporate it as often into my life. If mm. I'm getting it, I'm getting it frozen from the store. Yeah. Like it's harder to get fresh seafood in this area, believe it or not, even though the, the lakes are right there. So I feel like even when people are like, ah, I don't like this kind of seafood. I don't like that. It's, they're not having it correctly and mm. it's not their fault. Yeah. Like it's ha- like, and now that, you know, we have so many good restaurants in town now, even five years ago, we didn't have. And there's a lot of, uh, I know for a fact, there's a couple of, what, my favorite seafood restaurant here in Buffalo, um, they source their seafood. Yeah. They, people are work hard to get the good stuff. Yeah. So real hard. I wonder if now people who before would have been like, nah, it's not for me. Now that you can go and get like the good stuff, yeah. maybe that might change their perspective on the kind of food that they can actually have and enjoy. Like I'm ready to go out and have good seafood now in Buffalo because I can trust restaurants to go and get the good stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, I Long John Stilvers is still dear to my heart. Don't get me wrong. But, but that's like, that's what's see. Here's the thing, and and you, you mentioned you know fish fry in this area being sort of like a rite of passage. I am not a fish fry guy at all. Don't, really, don't like it. You know what? Does not do it for me. Blasphemous. Just going to say it. Just does bit. not do it for me at all. You need to get right with the Lord our Savior. I even... That's tough. I even went overseas to the motherland, and to the UK. There, the fish and chips not doing just it for Just not you. for me. That's tough. It's just not for me. And listen, it's not for everyone. I, I'm i not a real big... Fr- that is such a lie. I was going to say I'm not a real big fry food, fried food guy. That is, that is so disingenuous of me to say on the radio. Um, but... I just I don't know what it is about fried fish that doesn't do it for me. Anyways, um, if you uh, want to check out our podcast, and it's myself, Bruce Nolan of Buffalo Rumblings. Uh, Bruce is an unbelievable um, comrade, co-host. If you if you if you're a fan of Bruce, even if you're not a fan of me, it's a good podcast just for for just to listen to Bruce alone and hear me you know promote like a local beer that I'm drinking from the evening. So um, yeah, Buffalo Rumblings, you can check us out. Food for Thought is the podcast. Um, we do it every we do a video live video feed every Friday night from nine to ten p.m. We'll have a guest from nine twenty to nine forty. So far this year, we've had the likes of you know Joe Biscaglia, uh, Jay Skursky, the Buffalo News. Um, you know Chris Trapasso, Marcel Louis Jacques. So we've had we've had a whole bunch of great guests on the show, and we'd uh, we'd love it if you you gave us a tune in on Buffalo Rumblings. I'm going to go to the Western Hotline now because my man Jeff Medus, Western New York PGA Pro and co-host of Tea to Green, which airs during the summer here on the station from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and 7 to 9 during major weeks. It's basically a major week right now, Jeff. I'm wondering. I, I texted Brian yesterday. I'm like, why aren't you guys on the radio? This is basically bigger than a major. 
we're not on the radio because we're watching the golf. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, well, he was also golfing himself, which sort of seems yeah. sacrilegious because unless you have your phone out at all times with the Ryder Club playing in the background, it sort of seems it seems sketchy that you're on the golf course today. Yeah, this is uh, for me. This is must see TV. This yeah, doesn't come around much, and yeah, this is this is the weekend you hunker down. You watch, you get to watch twelve hours of golf a day, and it's 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 the most fun golf uh, I think there is to watch, uh, other than the Masters. Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I I I think I saw they they said it on TV yesterday, Jeff, that after day one and the U.S.'s six two lead was the largest lead for Team USA in forty eight years. Maybe it was, or maybe it was thirty eight. It was I think I want to say it was nineteen seventy six. Something along this. Not I'm not a big math guy. I don't know if you knew that about me, yeah. but. Um, yeah. Overall, Jeff, I've got to say, I I was going into this Ryder Cup with a quiet confidence, which I think every U.S. fan can't really have loud confidence because of the absolute domination that Team Europe has had over Team USA um, since this, you know, since the tournament's inception. Um, but overall, your your thoughts on day one? Were you surprised, or were you sort of like me, expecting this, but maybe a little hesitant to to get loud about it? I, 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 it's, it always feels like it ends up being closer because of the format. I think the format keeps things tight. It, it makes it difficult to, to get a big lead. Even as we watch right now, I think you can be worried. Hey, they win a couple matches coming in this, this morning and then this afternoon they get the advantage and then tomorrow is a whole nother ball game. So you, you know, you can never have a big enough lead with this format. You know, it's, uh, points are, you know, it's one point per match tomorrow. There's 12 points. So there's, you know, tomorrow's a big day and, um, I've been happy to see how the U.S. teams played, obviously, and it's fun to watch. But um, but I'm not super comfortable with the lead just yet. Talk to me a little bit about uh, this matchup this morning. I woke up early, watched the first match. Match one this morning is Brooks Kepka, Danny Berger against John Rahm and Sergio Garcia. And and good on t- good on Team Europe for just running back that Rahm Garcia group. They are just as tough to beat as anybody right now. Sergio in these types of tournaments is just such a good ball striker. Um, and pairing him with the best player in the world seems to really be working. They were down three early in this one, Jeff, but they find themselves up two now. Brooks has not. Re- really played his best golf in this tournament yet they're going to need him at some point more than likely tomorrow during singles but overall your, your, your thoughts on getting out to that early three hole lead and, and dropping things and now they find themselves through 13 down two to team europe well you know it, it, it's it's a game of swings there's a lot of momentum in golf as you know you, you get hot for a few holes and by the way you pair me with john Ram, we're gonna do okay <laughs> yeah um uh, but uh, but you know, I think it's a game of swings. I wouldn't count him out yet. I know he's had a few bad holes. Sometimes that happens, you know. But the good players—that's why he's one of the best players in the world—tend to find a way to uh, to settle themselves down. You know, you get fatigued, whether you believe it or not. These are, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stress involved, a lot of pressure, a lot of emotion. So that that kind of emotional energy will drag you down, and you know, maybe one good swing, one good shot can uh, flick a switch on a player like Brooks Koepka, and he can get going. And beating John Rahm's going to be hard no matter what you do. Uh, yeah, it's a great pairing of players, and uh, everybody's playing their hardest. And it's you know it's wonderful TV, and uh, you know I, you have to play your best to win. And um, you know he'll find a way. I'm not I'm not too worried about him. Um, I, but it is it is fun to watch. That's for sure. 
It's unbelievable to watch. And and I, I think before, I, b- because you and I will probably spend about five to ten minutes talking about the course because there's that much stuff oh. to talk about on this course because it's just, it's absolutely marvelous for television. Um, mm-hmm. I and, and by the way, Jeff, I recently bought a, like a 65-inch flat screen TV. And my God, for that purchase alone, this tournament has been unbelievable to watch on the on the uh, on the shores of Lake Michigan just an unbelievable atmosphere and an unbelievable scene but I, I wanted to ask you about match two maybe most notably Dustin Johnson who is the second best player in the world um, mm-hmm. and he really has raised his game he has not been a guy Jeff that has had a ton of success in Ryder Cups um, you know since since sort of playing this is I believe is his third or fourth Ryder Cup um, and just has not had the success and he goes two and zero yesterday up three early with Morikawa him and, and Morikawa have been a really nice pairing especially in these four uh, early morning foursomes yeah mark Howe is the one i've been a little more impressed with me interesting um mm. um it dustin's dustin he's just he's always going to be good you know um i just i think um I, I i think sometimes you know people put a lot of pressure on these players so how are you playing when you're coming in too you know what i mean it's, mm. a, it's a game of confidence i think an event like this overrides a lot of that though because there's so much around it whether you're confident or not, whether you're playing your best or not, whether you've been grinding it all summer all year or not, you're, you're going to find that little extra adrenaline. And sometimes that helps, and sometimes that hurts, and sometimes you feel like you have complete control of the golf ball, and sometimes it feels like, where is this going when I hit it? Even the best players in the world. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a tough situation to be in, and, um, and I think that's where the captain comes in with resting guys and pairings and confidence and and it helps when the team's playing well too. You know, when everybody around you's playing well, there's a nice, uh, there's a nice feeling. If, it, if you're getting your butt kicked, you know how that can be. It's, uh, it can bring you down, and it, it definitely affects your play. So I think the U.S. is in a good spot because they, the whole team's playing well, and um, you know, it's but they're they're not done yet. They got to fight ahead of them still. Big putt from Patrick Cantlay, uh, which puts the fourth match between Cantlay and Shifley and Lee Westwood and Matthew Fitzpatrick. They're now up two, so another uh, important match of the day this afternoon through nine holes. Actually, that's through ten now, and that's uh, Shifley and Cantlay now up two. I wanted to ask you about the pairing of Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. Uh, Jeff, because you know, yesterday they struggled a bit out of the gates. They got hot towards the middle of the round, and then ended up losing yesterday. Um, your overall thoughts about running it back with those two? Jordan struggled early. We obviously saw that unbelievable shot that he hits yesterday, just for just for Justin Thomas to miss the putt, and it mean essentially nothing in the course of the match. But I, I, these are two childhood best friends, guys that grew up playing the game together. I get from a chemistry perspective, but after yesterday, I was a little surprised to see them go back at it. Um, um, and come out today at, at, during that third match and uh, start slow. And once again, they're sort of getting hot towards the middle, but they find themselves down one to Victor Hovland and uh, Weisenberger. Yeah, I was surprised too. I thought they might get a rest. It's a lot of golf. I mean, if you're going to play every session, that's an awful lot of golf. I don't know how often that actually happens. And you want to keep your best players fresh because, you know, a point's a point tomorrow also, and that's one versus one. So that, you know, those points are just as valuable. I was surprised. I do think to some degree, because they're such stalwarts for the team and Jordan's so good with the putter that you just may want to play these guys into shape and just, mm. you know, they're, and just let them, just let them keep going. Maybe they find a groove and between the two of them, you know, they didn't have a great day, but you know, they're, they're uh, still stalwarts of the team. And if you're going to throw somebody out there as a, as a pairing, that might not be a, someone to ride for all the sessions. That might be a great, great pairing to ride. You know, those are tough decisions. And, and you've got to talk to your players and, you know, there's cap, there's people with each group seeing how they're actually playing. 
you know, it might be they actually hit it okay or felt they played okay and caught a few uh, caught a few breaks or ran into a buzzsaw or whatever it was. So sometimes it's not just your results, but how you're actually out there playing and how the strengths of your game are going for you that day that may make that decision um, to keep them going. So he might look at him and say, hey, you know, they didn't play terrible. And they, I feel like they're getting hot, so let's, uh, let's throw them out there one more time. Jeff, I, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, and, and it's funny because you and I were texting yesterday, and I, obviously a, a, a pretty noteworthy, memorable moment is watching Bryson basically take a line that I don't think very many people, if anyone at all, has ever taken at that golf course. Watching him pipe that line 417 yards after his partner hits a 286-yard three-wood down the middle of the fairway, like a good shot in retrospect, but like... He basically doubles down. He's got a. He ends up eagling the hole, and and your quote to me, which is probably the quote you'd hear from just about anybody who's who's following along in this Ryder Cup, is, "I may not like Bryson, but man, I'll take him on my team any day." And I think we see sort of the fruits of that yesterday. Obviously, they end up splitting, and they only get a half point in that matchup yesterday. But a really good first first round, anyways, for Bryson at the Ryder Cup. You know, he's like that football player that's explosive, that punt returner that can just let one, just rip one off one of these times. Um, and maybe because his partner did hit a 286 down the middle and had a good look at that pin is why he's able to try to rip at it. And, you know, he might not, like, it, I, I don't enjoy all the baloney between him and Brooks Koepka, but, um, but in this type of format, a guy who can, who can do that and who can also make a double, but you know he can also he you know he cha- he can change the momentum of a round real quick with with uh, you know hitting a pitching wedge into a par five to a foot and make an eagle um, that kind of thing fires up not just his partner not just him and his team and then that's what you want to get is you want to these players are searching for that momentum that that rhythm that groove that they can find right now and they feel a lot of pressure and uh, and a guy like him he you know he's he's a bit of a sideshow but he, I'd like to have him as my sideshow on my team yes. <laughs> Jeff Mead is here on the Western Hotline talking Ryder Cup action. Jeff is the co-host in our uh, summer Tea to Green show, which you can hear. Um, and if you missed any episodes this year, any major episodes, want to go back, and of course you can do that on demand at WGR550.com or the Odyssey app. Jeff, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, first and foremost, Pete Dye course. You, you're sort of, you, you sort of know there's going to be some really, hmm, how do you put it, like I... I, I I try to be nice. He's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, and in some of his formats, like this course, add in the elements with the wind off of the lake. And when, when, it, when the wind is coming from land onto the lake, how hard, especially the left or right wind, because everybody just thinks, okay, hitting into the wind is really tough. But, you know, I'd love to tee off with a 20 mile per hour wind at our back any day. And sure, to, you know, you could add an extra 15, 20, 30 yards to your tee shot, but try to control a, a flighted pitching wedge from 140 yards with a 20 mile per hour wind behind your back. It's not as fun, but this left to right wind, talk, to, talk a little bit about how much more difficult that plays and how you have to try to, you know, shape shots with and against this wind and with this course and the layout, how much more difficult that can be with, with really just trouble everywhere and these humongous greens. You know, I always felt uh, as a person who faded the ball, that left to right wind was tougher, and I never liked the one pushing at my back. You know, I felt like it made it more difficult to uh, stay in balance and, and hit really good shots. It's a little easier when it's in your face or, or pushing, you know, towards your chest. Um, 
the golf course is spectacular. It's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to bring these peaks and these, you know, the, the, the double bogeys and the eagles into play. Um, it's not chosen because it's not visually appealing on TV also. And not, it's also one of the greatest golf courses that's been hosting majors. So the golf course itself is such a wonderful venue to have this event. And I enjoy watching these players, you know, in ski caps and mm-hmm. hoodies, yeah, <laughs> and seeing some wind and seeing difficult shots. Because I like identifying the best players. And when you watch the best players in the world navigate this amazingly difficult golf course in difficult conditions um, and get up and down from these crazy bunkers which are everywhere and hit these shots from the rough, it to me it just a uh, it just it, it emphasizes how good they really are, and you know it's a it's it's a pleasure to watch. And and the course has lived up to everything, yeah. and it, and it's perfect for match play. I, I I don't think the PGA of America could have picked a better site for this, and I wouldn't be surprised if it came back soon. Last thing I have for you, Jeff, is is for those that maybe don't play a lot of varied golf games like we're like we're seeing today, particularly you know, alternate shot. Like, I think for the most part, people are playing, you know, four-man scrambles, two-man best ball. Like, they're, they're outside of that, there are, you know, maybe maybe there's a couple other games you sprinkle in. But for the most part, when you're going to play for in a charity tournament or so, you're not getting a lot of unique games like we're seeing in the Ryder Cup. Talk to me a little bit about the strategy of alternate shot. And, and, and if you're not a person that's maybe ever played it, how difficult it can be, especially because... You're not, you know, not hitting the next shot can be tough and sort of trying to zone in and, 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 and sort of keep your head to realize that you may not get to control where your next shot comes from. Well, and I think there was an interview with Brooks Kepka before the event where he discussed how it's different. And it's definitely different. And I think you feel more pressure as a player, especially representing your country in a format like this. You know, if you and I are playing, Nate, and I hit a bad shot and I put you in a bad spot, I feel awful. If I do it to myself, I kick myself. Right. You know, I'm, like, right, I'm going right. to get up and down. I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to make it whatever. But when you put somebody, your partner, in a bad spot, you feel terrible. Or you blow a simple shot. You know, you have an eight iron or in your hand and you, you hit it 40 feet or something. You know, or yeah. you, you miss a four-footer that you make 89% of the time. <laughs> you feel worse then and you put more pressure on yourself then than you do when you're playing your own ball, I think. Because you're more in control and you don't want to disappoint your teammates. So I think that's it's a unique format. It's it's not played very frequently. It's in you know country clubs. A lot of couples events are this way. They call those divorce opens. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, you want to uh, you, you want to really help your teammate. You really want to be strong. You really want to be solid, and um, and you want to play your best more so than you do when you're playing your own ball. But uh, but it makes it fun, and that, and it's it, it makes for good television too. For a weekend every other year, Jeff, Sergio Garcia becomes like enemy number one for me. I, I, and it, it sucks because I like Serge so much. He's such an easy guy to root for, for me anyways. Like I, I love watching his game. He, he's the sort of game that's going to play late into his, his 40s and 50s, and he's just one of those players that's just such a pure ball striker. But, man, do I hate him come Ryder Cup time. Man. I, I'd like hate him with all of me. And he had no business earning his way onto this team this year because of his play. Right. Because of how he performs in this event. He he gets invited every time. Yes, and I understand why. Now you do. Jeff, thanks so much, my friend. Enjoy your Saturday and enjoy your Ryder Cup weekend. And uh, we'll, uh, I'm sure you and I will uh, we'll have a chance to, uh, to talk soon. Thanks for calling, Nate. I'll talk to you soon. All right, dude. Jeff Metis there of the Western New York PGA. And, of course, he 
is the co-host of Tita Green on Saturday mornings during golf season. And obviously the, the regular golf season is over. We've been basically camera panned to this ball on, oh shoot, I don't even know what hole we're on here, um, in the Kepka Burger and uh, Match 1. So I believe this is the 15th or 16th hole. They are have a rules official. There's a lot of laughing going on. The ball is placed in like the only high part of grass here and really going to be interested to see how this ball comes out. We'll talk to Sal Capaccio coming up next to help me preview Bills and football team. I had a good buddy of mine um, who uh, now has his own weekly segment on um, the Extra Point Show, uh, Patrick Hammer, America's weatherman, he messaged me this morning and said, just an FYI, wind may be a bit of an issue tomorrow. Gusts 30 to 35 miles per hour for the Bills game tomorrow. Something to keep an eye on. That would really uh, make for interesting conditions at Highmark Stadium. Going to take a timeout. Other side, Sal Capaccio joins me here on WGR. Never miss a moment of WGR Sports Radio 550 again. Rewind up to 24 hours with Odyssey Rewind. Download the Odyssey app. Select WGR and go back in time. Driven by Northtown Automotive. Shop online at NorthtownAuto.com. It's Sal Capaccio. Filling up right behind the Bills bench right now with their flags and their hey, 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 let's go Buffalo champ on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. My guy, Sal Capaccio, joining me now here on the Wester Hotline. The Bills take on the Washington football team tomorrow, week three matchup to try to get above 500 for the first time this year. Sal, good morning to you. Have you had a chance to watch any of this Ryder Cup action? I've been watching for the last uh, hour and a half, I'd say. Yeah, I've been uh, pretty dialed in on it, actually. Have you, so you've had the ability to listen to the volume. Have you been hearing what's been going on with this Brooks Kepka danny Berger thing where their ball is in the only patch of tall grass in, like, the, in the only area? They were standing over that ball sale for like 15, 20 minutes. No, actually, that's when I was just leaving. Um, I saw the one earlier. Their ball was near, near an anthill, basically. Yes. And there was a, the official had to come out, and there was something going on with that where they had to kind of determine you know, how to do that. I have not heard the audio of what's going on with this particular situation, though. Yeah, Brooks uh, looks mad. He actually just hit an unbelievable shot. He finally hit the shot out of it, um, and he's on the green, but he's definitely mad. And there was there was a moment where Sergio was laughing so hard that he spit out his water. Like there's this has been sale through the first you know what thirty six hours of this event has just been as entertaining as golf is you're going to find. Like mm-hmm. this every other year sale. This is the event that if you're just trying to get into the game of golf or you're trying to watch the game of golf, maybe you don't love you know, sitting in front of your TV all weekend watching it for four days. This is the event that gets you in the game, man. I just, it's, it's so fun to watch. It is. Um, you, you know, what, what I find interesting is, and I said to my wife earlier, we were watching it together, and I said, I can't believe how like, it's, like a, it's a football game when the other team has a you know, bad pass or a penalty and everybody cheers, right? And all of a sudden, the European team misses a putt, and everybody goes crazy. It's totally against golf etiquette, right? Totally. But in this situation, it's okay because you're rooting for a side, essentially, right? That's what's really cool about this to me. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really entertaining. The only thing that I will tell you that it gets me is, like, I, I get, like, a bit confused. If you don't know exactly, you know, what's the format? You yes. kind of have to think about it. And I don't know exactly what the format is. Um, I know it once I look at it, but I, I don't know going in. I think they could do a better job 
of setting all. I that agree. Up and explaining it. I think if you're a if you're a golf fan, you know. Sure. But even now, like I don't. What is tomorrow's format? I'm not even sure. I think it's individual play, right? Tomorrow is singles. That's right. So uh, morning yeah. rounds are foursomes. So it's uh, alternate shot, and then the afternoon rounds is essentially two man best ball. But you're right. Okay. I, I was saying this to Jeff Metis, who I had on, like. It can be really difficult. Wow, who just hold that out? Holy cow, Paul Casey just hold it out from like 190 yards. Um, Sale, by the way, I just want to give the quote that Brooks Kepka said to the rules official. Quote, if I break my wrist, it's on effing both of you, is what he said on live TV. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a dramatic... It's been a little, by the way, I, I don't know if you could tell because you're on the air. It's getting a little chippy. And oh, it is. is um, some, the, the Europeans, I guess, didn't give... Was it was it Speed maybe a a putt that was within the leather? Yep. And Speed kind of made a motion like, "Come on, what are you doing?" And I guess there was one yesterday like that. So it is getting a little bit tippy, I think, out there. There's no doubt about that. All right, let's let's do what we do best because you know we're golfers, Sal. But let's let's not let's not you know let's not pretend we're uh, we're some kind of golfing experts here. Let let's talk about what we're actually experts at, which is um, talking talking some football. And, and I'm interested in your overall thoughts of I'm I've almost I, I don't know about you, Sal. Let, let's talk about this before we talk about the matchup. Is I feel like for me I've sort of turned the page on saying the same things about Josh Allen over the last two weeks. It, it feels very redundant. I feel like I'm sort of saying the same things about. His performance, I I just I don't know what to make of everyone being so hypercritical of the quarterback. Obviously, Sale, a lot of this comes from him getting paid this offseason. There's no doubt about that. But I just we haven't seen anything over the first two weeks of the season this year, Sale, that we didn't see through a couple of stretches of last season. Which, by the way, he had a runner-up MVP campaign, and he had two really, I think. 10 quarters straight of this exact type of football right smack dab in the middle of the season last year and still went on to have an unbelievable season. I'm not ready to push the panic button yet, and I'm, I'm sort of ready to turn the page on the conversation on it. So I think the difference is last year when he had those stretches and you can go to Tennessee, Kansas City, mm-hmm. whatever, New England maybe, you had already seen the body of work that showed you, oh, well, you know, look, look where he was the first few weeks. He'll just get back to it. We haven't seen that yet. And really, if you go back to the playoffs, he hasn't been particularly sharp. Now he's playing better defenses in the playoffs. But I think Bills fans just want to see it again because the start here hasn't shown us that. It's kind of just been the start has been just like that smack, you know, like in the middle, like you said. I don't, I don't get as much of a sense about being paid. Sure, that's out there. There's no doubt. And maybe he's even putting pressure on himself. Um, what I think, though, is that, you know, Josh and the offense are basically seeing every team's kind of um, best defense and something different, and they're trying to figure out the counter move to that now, and that's what's happening. So I agree. I'm not, you know, no, there should be no panic here or anything like that. But I do think the difference is people just want to see it happen again because mm. it just hasn't happened this year. And last year when it happened, you already had four weeks basically. In September, he was on fire and he threw throw for basically 350 right. yards a game. Sal, uh, our, our buddy Patrick Hammer messaged me this morning and said there there's a chance we see 30 to 35 mile per hour winds tomorrow, which doesn't really bode well for getting the passing game right in a stadium. We know the winds can really play a part in teams' passing games. Um, how much do you believe the weather could potentially affect the Bills' offense? And and if you were a betting man, which would you believe the weather affects more, the Bills' offense or Washington's? Well, I would think the Bills because they want to spread it out. They want to throw it around. But, you know, I'm doing some research this morning for my, my preview article. And, you know, I tell you, you can run on this Washington defense, too. They're actually averaging all close to 4.5 yards a carry given up. 
Uh, they're in the bottom third in the league in that category. And what's really interesting is, and I'll have more on this later when I write about it or tweet about it, but it wasn't just Daniel Jones. They, they've struggled with mobile quarterbacks going to, back to last year. Jalen Hurts ran for a pair of touchdowns against them. Russell Wilson ran for over 50 yards against them. And I don't know if people realize this, but Josh is actually off to a, a better start running the ball, his rushing yards are better than they have been the last two years. Last year, or two years ago, he ran for over 500 yards. He averaged 31 yards a game. He's averaging like 38, 39 yards a game this year. I think this is a game where maybe, you know, even though it might affect the passing game, the Bills might be able to do some things in the run game. But I do think anytime you have a, any wind like that, which is funny, you know, because Pat said yesterday, too, that it was going to be breezy and we're going to have some gusts, and that could be possible. I don't think we're going to be having like a full day of that kind of wind but I think it's possible, you know, it's going to happen according to what he's saying. So I would think it would impact the Bills' passing game because Washington isn't going to rely on that. They're going to rely a lot to try and run the ball and then make some plays in the passing game. Sal, obviously with watching some of the videos from practice this week, I think it's pretty apparent that Gabriel Davis is still not totally right with that ankle. And, and, and if that is the case, if he's going to be sort of working through this ankle injury over the next several weeks until he's 100% healthy, how much more of Dawson Knox can you expect to see? And I got to say, Sal, you know, week one, he didn't have much of a presence. They, they wanted to run it. They wanted to spread it out. They wanted to run a lot of four and five wide, but they made a conscious effort to get back to more 11 personnel looks and more tight end looks last week. And I think the offense looked better um, with Dawson Knox as a more featured part of it. What are your thoughts about his sort of growing role in this offense as it seemed early on that just spreading it out with this offensive line doesn't maybe seem like the smartest move for this team? And he's also made a few nice catches. Right? I mean, the knock has been the inconsistency. And, you know, Dawson Knox could make every great catch and fabulous catch and hard catch for eight weeks. If he drops an easy one in week nine, people are going to bring that up, right? And, like, here we go again. That's just the way it's going to be for him now until he, in, in, until he goes a whole season, I guess, without dropping a pass. But I really like his game. I think he, um, is a, he's got to be a bigger part of the passing game if they're going to be hobbled at, at wide receiver. But, you know, if Gabriel Davis still – he didn't have any targets last week. He still played. But that could also mean you just have, you know, Emmanuel Sanders on the field a little more. Maybe Jay Kumro gets some run at wide receiver. It doesn't have to be. I don't think it's much about Knox replacing Davis. I think it's just what you just said, running more 11 personnel, yeah. uh, insulating Josh Allen a little bit more, giving him an ability to, um, you know, be clean in the pocket. Look, last week, Nate, they kept him clean in the pocket. The only time he was actually pressured was when he got out of the pocket mm-hmm. and he rolled out. That's when there was some pressure on him. But last week the, the offensive line did well, and I think that was partly because – they did keep a tight end more often. Dawson Knox had his highest snap count of his career, by the way, over 80%. He was on the field. And they kept they, they used running backs, right? I mean, they, Devin Singletary was on the field. They ran the ball a little bit better. I think that that's kind of more of the model that they want to have going forward, basically. How impressed were you last week with Devin Singletary? I mean, really early and often in that football game, and then you saw, I think, Zach Moss really bounce back in a big way from that early fumble. I, I almost worried after that fumble sale that – Zach Moss might be in real trouble to see the field again because those are just situations on top of the availability issues that he's had early in his career. He has had a couple of untimely fumbles, and we saw it last year, and we saw Devin Singletary get more touches because of it. But what a great bounce back from Moss. But I want to focus the attention here on Devin Singletary because this is a guy that that 
Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, Brian Dable all talked about the work that he put in in the offseason. And you can talk all you want. We can hear the coaches. We can hear the player talk about the work that they put in. But until it really shows up, it's hard to really give that talk credence. I It's hard for me to ignore it, though, Sale. Like, he looks like a like an improved football player. He has since uh, we saw him in OTAs and minicamp. You know, his, body, his body has changed a bit. The one thing I kept saying in OTAs and minicamp was you just feel like you was hitting the hole a little bit more explosively. He wasn't worried about dancing back there. And mm-hmm. I think you saw that on that 46-yard touchdown run. Right? He, he got to the second level. He's not going to run away from people. I mean, in fact, they caught up to him at the goal line. But if he can get into the second level, I mean, now you know he can make a guy miss in space, obviously. You know, he's also put the ball on the ground. He's had That's like right. three fumbles that have either counted or not counted. They've gone out of bounds or right as he's out of bounds. So, he has to be careful of holding out of the football. Right? We all know what happened last week with Zach Moss. His, um, his his aunt had passed away and had the funeral on Saturday. He tweeted about it. Sean McDermott referenced it in our extra point show when Joe and I interviewed him yesterday. I think that was something in his mind and conscious of. And you know, I, I think Sean strikes the right balance of trying to handle those things. But you know, when he fumbled, it was very noticeable to me. And I said, "Boy, he has not played since he fumbled." And suddenly. He gets in the game and yep. has a nice short yardage run and then has a couple of nice touchdown runs, obviously, and he ran with a renewed purpose, I thought. So good for him. Hopefully that uh, gives him even more confidence going forward and his head is you know, clear of everything that he was dealing with last week. Uh, but there is still separation, Nate. Nate, I mean, Devin Singletary is the number one running back on this team. Mm-hmm. He is. And, but, but if you're a fantasy player, let's say, for example – I don't think you can go in and go, oh, Singletary, he's the guy, because you know you might get Moss or Allen getting the touchdowns at the goal line, right? right? You just don't right. know. Singletary's touchdowns almost have to come from outside the red zone if that's going to happen. So, But, but I, I like the way they ran the ball last week. Granted, most of the yards came in that first play, um, but they showed at least that they're willing to line up at 11 personnel, run the ball, and be effective at it. Sal, last thing I have for you is defensively, just how impressive was that performance last week? And I know... <sighs> I watched that offensive line. I rewatched the game a couple of times, and I really tried to just focus on the individual one-on-one battles on that offensive line from the Dolphins with the Bills' defensive line. And it was hard to find instances where the Bills simply did not dominate almost every one-on-one battle that they were presented. And I'm trying to keep in perspective that performance, watching A.J. Epinesa get nine pressures in one football game. And I'm trying to keep all that in perspective by saying and thinking to myself that that was one of the worst offensive line performances that I've ever seen. Um, But with that said, sale. Part of that performance has to be that the defensive line is playing at a really high level. It's not just that the Dolphins were bad. It's that the Dolphins were bad and the Bills were really good and really efficient, winning tons of one-on-one battles. How much can you take that, or I guess the the question I want to ask you is... How much should I? How much really should I give credit to this Bills defense? How much confidence should I have through four games where they're basically the best quarterback they're going to play as an aging Ben Roethlisberger, and maybe they'll, they're going to play Davis Mills and Taylor Heineke and 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 Jacoby Brissett? And how much can I truly ju- judge the quality of play of this defense before they play? You know. The Chiefs, for instance, right? They're going to play in Week Five. Like that's going to be a notable step up from them. I know, Sale, that they can't control who they play. All they can control is how they play in those games. But how much can I really put into this defense's early success? Well, I think that you could put a lot into it. This is a this is a defense playing at an elite level right now. I mean, they really are. Uh, they're they're doing a lot of great things. And I think more than anything, they're just so well coached too, right? They have great players. I mean, they're playing great. I should say they have really really. Good players. They're all playing at a high level, but super well coached. 
I thought Leslie Frazier and Cal McDermott dialed up a great game plan last week. They were on and everything. I mean, they went away from what they normally do last week. That's a sign of a really good defense when you could do that and you pitch a shutout, right? You think about this is a normally a zone defense. Last week they played man-to-man a lot. They got up in receiver spaces. They took away that first read of Tua. And then, boom, he goes to his second read, and now here comes somebody screaming off the edge. Mm. Whether that's Taron Johnson, A.J. Epinesa, Micah Hyde, whoever it was, Greg Rousseau, they, they had a great game plan. And I think when that, all that is working, that's right. So the other part about A.J. Epinesa, it wasn't just that maybe he was beating his man and maybe he had a good matchup. The next-gen stats on his ball get-off right now are incredible. Right? Dude. I mean, he is Sal, an elite company right now. I, I struggle to figure out a way that, short of losing some weight, Sale, if you watch him at Iowa and you watch that game last week, you can't convince me that's the same person. Like, they look like completely different players. I mean, what a credit to this organization for saying, this player, right now, the guy we're drafting... This isn't the player you're going to see in a year and a half. And and I, and a lot of the credit, though, does go to A.J. Sal because he has to buy into that. Like, it's easy for him to maybe come in and say, I'm an accomplished college football player. I'm a second-round pick in the NFL, and you want to do what? You want to change, really change what I am as a player and how I'm going to win at the next level? I, the buy-in from him and the vision of the team, I, I'm just, I've been so impressed through the first couple of games. And, hey, Mario Addison yeah. sort of called this. He did, and those guys saw it, they knew, and I think I give a lot of credit to A.J., but you're right, the organization of player development is pretty incredible. And, and look, you just said a lot of what I could have said, and I'll say the other part of it, which is, boy, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you've got to be a little worried about all of this draft capital they had, and, and they had a chance at Austin Jackson and this offensive line, and they're no better. Right? No, they're, no they're better not. Over the last couple of years. And what are they going to do here? Now, as short of maybe trading for Deshaun Watson, which could happen, they're in a really bad spot, I think, with their quarterback and offensive line situation. So, you know, that's the other side of the coin uh, that you referenced earlier. So, yeah, that, that, but A.J. Epinesa, all the credit to him and the organization for him being this productive and looking the way he's looking uh, on the football field and, and his body, too, over the first two weeks. Thanks, Al. Appreciate you, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday afternoon, and uh, we'll be talking to you on pregame tomorrow morning. Okay, real quick before I go, what Shoot. were you doing 10 years ago today? Do you remember? Uh, 10 years ago today, I would have been 19 years old, probably sitting doing. on college campus doing doing nothing special. No, no, you were celebrating the Bills beating the Patriots, 34-31. Oh, oh, I was at Fred the game Jackson. sale. Is this the f- 10 years ago today. Today is the decade anniversary oh my gosh. of the Bills beating the Patriots, 34-31 the fit screen. at then Ralph Wilson Stadium. Um, Sale, I brought my then college roommate, who is not from Buffalo, had never been to a Bills game, and we sat in the suite next to O.J. Simpson. And oh. during, Excuse me. Yes, yes, next to him. Okay, And then on top of that, Sale, my buddy looked to me, because we were there after the game, and he said... There's why it's like there's grown men crying in the stands. This is week three or like whatever it was. I'm like yeah, I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah. it's hard to explain. It's worthy. Like these tears are worthy tears. Yeah, they go to wow. Kansas City. They blow them out. They yep. come home. They have that big comeback against Oakland, and then week three they beat uh, the Patriots. But anyway, just a talking point for your show. I figured I figured listeners might want to might want to know that today and, and be a little reflective. Yes, thank you, Sal. Appreciate that, buddy. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Okay, you too, thanks. Sal Capaccio there on the Western Hotline. Thank, thank, of course, Sal, the professional that he is, has always got those things just kind of locked in. I That was one of the most memorable games I've ever been at. I'm thinking 19, what am I doing at 19? I'm like, uh, do I 
do a tell sale what I actually was doing at 19, but disgusting, just disgusting. But I will say, I was at that game in the suite. Uh, Corey, I kid you not, like sitting in the suite and looking over and seeing the juice next to me. I was at a game um, at, that he was in attendance in the suite, and I was in the stands between him and the crowd. Uh-huh. And when the crowd realized he was there, buddy, yeah, hard times, as they say, hard times. Dusty Rhodes. All right, going to take a timeout. Other side, the 12 o'clock hour coming at you next. I got Ryan Talbot, Matt Lombardo, talking more Bills, talking more Washington football team. Going to keep you up to date on the Ryder Cup as well. All that here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Stay connected to our shows and get in on the conversation. Follow us on Twitter at WGR550. Maybe, Producer Corey, why don't you just explain to the folks what that is? Because I don't think I could really explain it in a way that would do it justice. So, the Fitz scream, as we kind of called it, is Ryan Fitzpatrick watching the game-winning touchdown being scored in that game to beat the Patriots, and his excitement just overtakes him. And he produces a sound I don't think anybody would really expect um, in that moment. I mean, like, you got to really get high. To hit that note, like that's a really high note. So just, it's interesting to know that that's the notes Ryan Fitzpatrick can hit. That's his. That's he's that's, an alto. That's what <laughs> he's an alto. Um, that is the sound of a Harvard man. Is what that is. Did you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard? Absolutely. Like every every Ivy Leaguer sounds like just a little bit like that. Yeah, absolutely. You so, should listen to Mark, sounds like uh, a small Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. You should hear. You should listen to Mark Zuckerberg. I screen. don't want to listen. <laughs> I don't, don't want to listen. I don't want to know about Mark Zuckerberg. All right, time out. Other side, my man, the man, the myth, legend, Ryan Talbot of New York Upstate is going to join me. We'll talk more Bills, Washington football team. That's next here on WGR. Miss your favorite show or interview? No problem. Rewind on your app with Odyssey Rewind. Driven by Northtown Automotive. Shop online at northtownauto.com.